Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Politicking Podcast with me, Ben Murray. And me, uh, Stuart Thompson. So, have you been Stuart? Are you getting excited for Christmas now? Yeah, I do I do like Christmas, Ben, but um, I always my wife's birthday is just before Christmas as well. So, uh, not saying that either is uh, stressful, but <laughs> having to buy two sets of very definitely separate presents and prepare myself and do all the wrapping, etc., as well as for the kids and everything else, you know, it does make this time of year... You know, a little, a little more uh, tense than it could be otherwise. But I do, I do love it. Uh, not least, we've got a, a Doctor Who episode uh, this year to look forward to as well. So, um, you know, that's that. That will make my Christmas. Oh, nice, nice. So, uh, have you done all your shopping then, Stuart? Is that all sorted? Stuart, is that all? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. there's still stuff to do, Ben. Yeah. No, sorry. Come back to me. Actually, we shouldn't be recording a podcast. I should be out shopping. <laughs> yeah, get to it. Get to it. No, I need to do. I need to do some myself. To be honest, um, I was going to uh, say, have you done yours? No, no. It, it nearly, I'm nearly there. It's just like, final bits and stuff. It, it, yeah, I need, I need to just kind of go to the shops this weekend and just make sure it's all boxed off. I think before the big rush. So, so a um, few things have happened in the past few weeks, Stuart, since we last spoke um, in the po- political sphere. Um, so mainly around the COVID inquiry. So I know Boris Johnson gave um, his evidence to that last week, and yesterday Rishi Sunak gave his evidence to it. So we can talk a bit about that today. And then the Rwanda bit of legislation that's causing a bit of stir between the Conservatives at the minute. So we'll we'll get into a bit of that and explain kind of what's happening with that because I know it can be a bit confusing, can't it? So um, we can look at that. So perhaps should we start with the COVID inquiry, Stuart? Um, So, I mean, maybe let's start with Boris Johnson's um, evidence session that he gave last week. I mean, for me, a, a lot of it was kind of what I was expecting, in all honesty. Um, how do you think he came out of it, Stuart? I, I mean, I, I think he came out looking, I don't know, quite quite poor, to be honest. I, I think he looked a bit of an idiot, and I think everyone's kind of come to the bit of the, of the agreement that perhaps he was the wrong prime minister to lead the country at that time. Would you, would you agree with that? I think I mean, the, the Boris's style of leadership was always, you know, outgoing, Mr Personality, but the way he ran London when he was mayor of London was to have a really good team around him. It just seems that this time around, he tried to follow the same pattern of leadership, which was the one he was used to. It worked well for him in London for the couple of terms that he, he ran. You know, successful electorally, electorally in London. London is a Labour town. I don't quite buy that, but that's the sort of, you know, the idea. Uh, and he bucked that trend and ran it, you know, successfully Boris bikes etc now of course the record of any politician is always actually how much was there doing and how much was in place before so Ken Livingstone was actually the guy that introduced the bikes but they came in under Boris etc etc you know you had projects like the Garden Bridge or the Thames Estuary Airport etc you know which didn't go quite so well so you know you can pick apart anybody's record but you know serve two times work well do the same thing in government and it just seems that, A, that le- lack of level of um, engagement with the detail of policy, especially when it comes to something super important and super, you know, complicated, you know, as COVID, uh, and not having necessarily the right people around him, or maybe those people weren't getting on. You had the cabinet, you had, you know, the advisory team, you know, media advisors, civil servants, etc. bigger team more personalities, more divergence, more clashes. So that style of leadership didn't work. And I think you saw that last week in his evidence. It's, um, 
you know, despite this guy allegedly having been prepped for several weeks beforehand, he looked unclear. He looked um, evasive in places. He didn't like it when, you know, evidence was brought up and, and his own comments sort of played back to him. He couldn't really explain it, not recalling, uh, you know, uh, you know, events and, and, and issues and advice that were given. Um, and I thought he just, you know, in a purely, you know, you know, personal appearance, just looks sort of tired and not really quite as as with it. And also, I think, the you know, the worst thing was, and I know there's always ways that you can do this and you have to worry about the media presentation, etc. It was, you know, when you initially go in, do you go in and, you know, you had, you know, victims of the fa- uh, uh, victim, fam- sorry, families of the victims, get around the right way, um, that were protesting outside. You know, they would have given him a hard time had he gone in. But actually going in via the back door or whatever, you know, three hours early to avoid all the crowds, you know, which is the worst look. Um, and I think on a you know, human level, I think avoiding people is exactly the wrong thing to do in that. But that's what he did. So I think if you add all those bits together, he didn't come out particularly well, I don't think. Um, and that presumably will, will be reflected in the final, you know, inquiry report, Ben, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I heard as well, Stuart, that like before the inquiry took place, he was kind of briefing the media about what his kind of key messages were as well, and, and kind of like just to make sure they were kind of communicating exactly what he was gonna gonna put out. And I think the big what the big thing he wanted people to take away was we got the big decisions right. But I think it's it's important, and I think this is why the COVID inquiry is important to to look at all of those smaller decisions and and kind of the processes that were in place and. You know, you, you even hear about COBRA meetings taking place in the early stages of COVID and he didn't attend them. And I think they were being chaired by Matt Hancock at the time and there was no kind of link up between uh, those two politicians and stuff, which is bizarre now when you look at kind of how big of a crisis COVID was that, you know, he wasn't even, he wasn't taking it serious in the start, was he? Until obviously the whole kind of world shut down. I think, I think even America kind of, lockdown before us, Stuart, and they had kind of, you know, we, we all kind of look across the pond at kind of Donald Trump and the way he led America and stuff. But even they were quicker to lock down than we were, you know, and I, I think it's remarkable sometimes that, like, he, he does get away with some of this stuff because perhaps he shouldn't, you know, perhaps he, sh- he should hold his hands up and say we should have locked down a bit earlier and stuff, which that wasn't quite coming out of the inquiry for me from him, to be honest. You know, I, I, I'd agree with that, Ben, and I think the... You know, normally when you appear before a, a public inquiry or anybody appearing before a public inquiry, you know, obviously there is some element of, you know, media management around it because you have reputations to, you know, be concerned about and protect and all that sort of stuff. Completely understandable. That's the reality of, you know, the society we live in. Having said that, yeah, I mean, if you picked up any newspaper the weekend before, you knew exactly what he was going to say. So he went... Mm, in my opinion, massively overboard in trying to set that media tone. I guess on the basis that most people won't see the actual evidence. They might see the clip here and there. And if you get, you know, if you do an apology at the start, you know, that's what will be covered because that's the interesting part. So giving evidence appears to have been a bit of a mix of, you know, a mix of reputation management and an actual sort of you know insight into the processes maybe he just went too hard on the reputation side and not enough on the insight side but again look up to the you know the judge the 
the inquiry. And I think, you know, again, as you said, Ben, it's, it's right that they look at the decision making processes and the people, but also the evidence, you know, which committees should have been there, which weren't there. You know, did they have the economic data as well as the health data? You know, how were the decisions made? So not just the processes in that sense, but actually the process by which important judgments were made. Um, and then, you know, if it can do all of those things, then we'll get the report which we all want, which is how do we stop this happening again? You know, if yeah. if this, if we get another pandemic, how do we deal with it better? Yeah. Um, uh, but I don't think Boris particularly was particularly insightful or helpful last week really no yeah and uh, the data point Stuart was something that kind of Rishi uh, brought up yesterday in his um, evidence you know his evidence to the inquiry um, so I think I mean if we just move on to, to kind of some of what Rishi was uh, getting questioned about um, so it was about his role as Chancellor during the pandemic and I think a lot of the questions fired at him was around the Eat Out to Help Out scheme and the impacts on the death toll around that. Um, he was another politician who'd lost WhatsApp messages from the um, the, the pandemic, which is convenient, uh, to say the least. Um, but he seemed, I mean, I don't know about you, Stuart, I watched a few bits of it yesterday. He seemed quite coy, I thought, in his verbal evidence and sounded like he was sticking to his written evidence quite a bit. So he, he wasn't kind of going above and beyond to kind of provide any any further kind of illustration to, to what he's put in his written evidence. It just seemed like, I don't know, it was a bit lawyer-ish, if that makes sense. Like he was sticking very much to his story and he wasn't kind of being diverted from that, no matter kind of what questions were coming his way. Did you take that away, take as, well? That away as well? No, I think, you're, I think your analysis is right. I think he was a lot slicker. He was a lot clearer in his own mind about the decisions that he'd made and those that he was involved in um you know and and from a sort of a you know box office perspective which you know some of this is is about as well because it's about grabbing attention it, it was just it was duller which mm-hmm. which for rishi again if we come back to that reputation piece which i know is horrible when we talk about these sort of issues but is absolutely part of that you know he he is look boris is well out the scene at the moment uh, Rishi isn't. Rishi is still Prime Minister. You know, Rishi yeah. still has an election to fight soon. So, you know, there is no escaping that actually what he needed to do yesterday was make sure that he made no mistakes and didn't say anything outrageous. And again, it was a nice, you know, good apology early on because that's what he needed to be here. So it's a, for him, it was make, not making mistakes because it's mm-hmm. still important for him in electoral terms where, in a way that it's not for Boris. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I'm with you on that, Stuart. I think he came out no worse than he went in, if that makes sense. I, I think he, he just came out, yeah, un, un kind of hurt from it. Um, I did just want to pick up on, because I actually did think he made a good point about the lack of good quality data, which was available, which kind of hindered decision-making at the time. Um, and, I mean, just to, just speaking from a more local perspective, working in local government kind of from... You, when we're looking at kind of tackling the cost of living crisis and stuff like that, we we really struggle with data and and knowing how to kind of target support as well. So I imagine you know that on a national level must have been a bit of a, a nightmare for them to kind of get a grasp of kind of where the kind of you know illness was moving to and all that kind of stuff. And I, I do think perhaps that is something we, like as a country we should be looking at how we can kind of harness better 
more up-to-date data and things like that to make sure we can deliver effective support because at the minute I don't think those that's quite in place I mean speaking from a personal perspective it definitely isn't kind of in our local area and I think if we had that it would make you know with the limited resources we have it would make targeting support a lot easier and and yeah hopefully get gets it to the right people but just want to make that comment because I thought it was interesting that national governments are thinking along the same lines as that really well again it's it's you know some of that Ben I'm guessing is about you know IT systems integration uh, the availability of of data, the way that it is allowed to be shared. So there's lots of different issues to unpack. But if you've got a sort of, you know, I mean, you know, we, we all know that government isn't great at rolling out IT, you know, systems. That's one of the sort of big cliche, you know, quite right in in you know, but you know, the big cliches of government is it can't do big IT projects or IT, you know, big projects generally, but but certainly IT projects. Uh, and and one of the challenges which is facing the NHS is the use of data how much they have how much is available you know if we can all get appointments online and you know all that stuff which is quite basic you know yeah. it's it, you know for us in our daily work lives we're recording this on you know macs and pcs we've got phones beside us doing the recording so to make sure hopefully we you know we capture everything um we've all got loads of tech personally but then take that into health and it's sort of not there it's not quite right so absolutely, you know, you can well see why government would get hugely frustrated by that. And and maybe, again, that's one of the big changes that, you know, the NHS is trying to make and will make. And the inquiry may find that actually that's the big trick of that, that data point, mm-hmm. that ability to shift bits of the economy or their health or close down areas more strategically than we were able to beforehand. But you can only do that with the data. So maybe that's yeah. one of the big changes that will come through as a result. Yeah, not not to go off on a tangent from the covered inquiry, but I, I do wonder if artificial intelligence can play a bit of a part around that, Stuart, and I know a lot of people are nervous about it, but I do think that could perhaps help us identify issues sooner. So, yeah, just just I mean, just looking at like the processes side and stuff like that, that was kind of one of my key takeaways away from kind of the personal politics side, really, from, from the inquiry. Um, but let's perhaps leave the inquiry there. Um, it's worth saying... The COVID inquiry isn't the only thing for Rishi to be worried about. Uh, so as mentioned in the intro, the Rwanda policy will be giving him nightmares at the minute as well. Um, so Stuart, I'm going to try and give a quick summary of my understanding of the Rwanda issue. Please sure. do. Good luck, Please, Good yeah. luck <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing this myself. Yeah. yeah, Please do pull me up if you think I've got any of this wrong. Um, so this is what I think the Rwanda bill is proposing to do and how we've got it and stuff like that. So we all obviously know that illegal immigration has been a key issue for this Conservative government over the past few years. And Rishi's made it one of his top priorities to, in quotation marks, stop the boats. So part of this plan to stop the boats and to stop illegal immigration and, and restrict the number of asylum seekers we receive from other countries is to deport immigrants who arrive here illegally to another country. However, it's my understanding that the government have found it difficult to find a suitable location for asylum seekers to be deported to, until, that is, they stumbled across Rwanda. So I think the government have struck a deal with Rwanda to take this forward, and I think they've paid them about $300 million to deliver this scheme, so it's, it's a lot of money, and at the, at, you know, at the time of recording, no kind of asylum seekers from the UK have been deported over there. So 
obviously there's a bit of pressure for the government to actually do something on this now, I think. So I think earlier this year, the plans to send illegal immigrants there have previously stalled uh, due to the UK Supreme Court and I think the European Court of Human Rights um, previously ruling that it was illegal to send asylum seekers to Rwanda due to human rights concerns there. And I think this ended up in the kind of courts stopping a plane with asylum seekers leaving the UK. Is that is this is this right? I think you've done a yeah. yeah you've done a I think you've done a good job in in explaining which is what is a massively complicated uh, issue which has been going on for years, and this is one of the key the government's key problems is you know this issue, this is the you know and this has gone thrown through I think Priti Patel originally obviously Suella, uh, you've now got James Cleverly uh, we had a very small interim of. Um, I think Grant Shapps are a couple of days as well. So what are we, three, four Home Secretaries in, and yet we are still trying to work out if and how, I say we, but, you know, yeah. as a government, as a country, can move uh, people from here to Rwanda. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose, Stuart, this is where this bill comes in now, so this Rwanda bill. So... So obviously, yeah, the, the the plane being stopped, the the courts getting involved, all that kind of stuff has put a massive spanner in the way. It's for government, as as Stuart just said. It's you know we've gone through so many home secretaries, all that kind of stuff because we can't quite get this bit right. Um, so obviously, I think as well, you've got part of kind of the Conservative Party, probably the the right wing of the Conservative Party, also fuming a bit about the kind of European Court getting involved because. It kind of goes against the whole Brexit principle. What you know, why we left the European Union in the first place. European courts having to say on what we can and can't do, all that kind of stuff. Immigration as well being being a key issue there. So with the bill, what the governments are now trying to do is introduce a bill which must be approved by Parliament. And I think there's a vote today. Is this Stuart? Is that that right? On this? Yep. That right. Yep. Um, so it basically the bill looks to make it clear in UK law that Rwanda is a safe place for asylum seekers to go to. And this would order, basically, British judges and courts to ignore some sections of the UK Human Rights Act in order to do so. So, where are we now? So, some MPs, and I think we've just seen a resignation, haven't we, from Robert Jemrick, who was Immigration Minister, because they don't think it goes far enough to prevent further legal challenges from individuals rather than the court. Is that right, Stuart? So if 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 immigrants kind of put in a legal challenge on being sent to Rwanda, they, they can kind of put a legal challenge in to kind of say, I don't want to go there. And what some of these MPs are saying is it will be upheld by the courts to say, yeah, they don't have to kind of go there. Is that... <laughs> that was quite... Hard to get there, Stuart, but was, was that a good summary? Was that okay? Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I mean, uh, no, you're right. I mean, so in other words, we've got we've got this bill that the government is saying, look, we'll solve the problems of us not being able to get people out to Rwanda. Previously, the more centrist bits of the Conservative part of the wetter, leftier bits of the Conservative Party don't really like it very much, but are saying, OK, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. The more, you know, Brexity, righty sort of end of the Conservative Party as you say, Ben, you know, we've got, there's literally, as we're recording this, you know, later on today, they're deciding what to do. So this bill may go through. 
uh, or or it may collapse and you know we may be looking at you know a, a government in complete disarray again on this issue and Rishi trying to work out what he wants to do you know should he be defeated so it, you know it, it is literally that important um you know about you know how the government deals with this issue so you know and and it brings to mind all the various fights from the brexit area but sorry area that's not a word <laughs> era yeah. um yeah. so you've got groups within the conservative party each individually you know uh, you know discussing what their view is and if they're going to back it or abstain or vote against it etc you've then got the theater of you know the house of commons in particular but parliament as a whole and you know the vote the vote uh, when it comes could be on a knife edge Again, look, this all feels very Brexity, doesn't it, really? And and as you've rightly said, Ben, you know, you know, the Brexit vote was about, you know, taking back control, the UK Parliament making decisions, and what better, you know, what one issue sums that up more than anything else, which is about control of one's borders. And, you know, people complain about the, the you know, the, the poster that, was put up about you know Turkish you know if if Turkey joins the EU, uh, you know and there was a big queue of people all trying to come into the country and that was used during the Brexit referendum and people went oh then you're being racist etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know we are still in exactly that same place place protecting our borders that's what a government does it is singly failed to do that because legal migration. Again, as you mentioned, Ben is up to whatever it was, 700, 750,000 sort of thing in a year, which is high. You know, that's a big number. And illegal immigration is a problem as well. And small boats are still a problem. The numbers may be coming down. They may have done a deal with, um, uh, I forget the name of the country now, which is terrible when you're talking about these things. Um, anyway, uh, you know, to, to, to try and stop the people smuggling. Uh, so that all help. But that is still, you know, stop the boats has not happened so if you add in the legal migration and the illegal bit suddenly it looks like even post-brexit you've got a government that can't do the basics of controlling the borders that's difficult for any government let alone a conservative one yeah yeah no 100 i mean it goes back doesn't it to our very first episode of this podcast which was titled culture wars Stuart and it feels like, it feels like it, yeah, everything at the minute is being driven, isn't it, by the right versus the left. And that, that's even just within the Conservative Party itself, if that makes sense, of so the centre and the right kind of thing, of having that row over these kind of issues. And I suppose as well, Stuart, like, this is only one part, as you just kind of said, there, it's only one part of stopping illegal immigration. I heard that they're only planning to send about 200 uh, asylum seekers to to Rwanda and we've spent all this money we've got I feel like I do feel a bit like Rishi Sunak's kind of pinning his whole kind of conservative leadership on on this whole issue of getting it through and it it does feel and I don't know I don't know why this is the case to it but it does feel like if he doesn't get this through it could be like the nail in the coffin for Rishi would, would you agree with that or and, and I don't know why that is to it because there's so many other bigger issues that you know that are occurring in in kind of the country and stuff like that that really impacts in like you know everyone's lives and things like why is this why is this about sending you know two hundred asylum seekers to Rwanda why has this become kind of the the pinnacle of his of his of Rishi's leadership? 
I'm not sure there's a, I'm not sure there's a reason why, but you're right. It has become completely totemic. It it is the sort of they've allowed it and 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 have briefed it as such as the way that this issue will be solved. It is no such thing. Um, it is part of the solution, along with dealing with you know. Um, you know, you know, legal migration as well and numbers and all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, the illegal migration in terms of the people smugglers and border patrols and deals with France and the European Union. You know, that's it, it, it's all of these things. But of course, we can't pay France very much money because then, of course, it looks like we're paying Europe to do that. And then we can't do that because oh, it's a bit Brexity, da da da. So, you know, that, that sort of rules that one. No, it doesn't completely rule it out, but it means we can't really talk about that one so much. So this has become the big way of solving the problems. But then, as you say, A, it doesn't actually take very many people. B, actually, Prime Minister's question time, sort of now last week, when uh, Keir Starmer was going through the bill, you know, he was pulling out bits from, you know, Appendix A, which says we will take uh, asylum seekers from Rwanda as well. So there will be people from Rwanda coming here as well as part of this deal. Uh, And, and, uh, you know, Rishi didn't have an answer to that. So... How much of that stays in, how much of that is up for debate, etc. I don't know. But when people actually understand what the bill does and how it's being put together, it, even if it is passed, it may not be the shiny answer that everybody, you know, as the Conservative Party and the government have said it will be. And could it be as, you know, as, as sort of, you know, could it bring down the government? In theory, yeah, it could. You know, if this is complete open warfare and effectively, you know, the Conservative Party has imploded in on itself, uh, could it mean an early election? You know, potentially, yes. I don't, I don't think it will, but, you know, there is that there is that potential about it. But even if it doesn't bring the demise, demise of the Conservative government and an early election, it's difficult to see how Rishi himself comes back from it because he's staked so much on this that, you know, it just adds that final sort of nail in the coffin of, of the government, doesn't it? Yeah, and I suppose, Stuart, that how... That, so a big thing for me is, you know, these these kind of right-wing uh, Conservative MPs and, and things who say it doesn't go far enough as well, how much further can it go? Like, we're going against our own human rights laws and everything with this this bill. So, so you opt out. You opt out of the bits that you don't like, the the bits that you don't think fit. So... You know, you come out of the European, you know, Court and Human Rights. You you dump bits of the you know, you repeal the Human Rights Act. You do, you know, there's you know, in that sense, there's there's nothing off the table. Uh, if it means that we can just do what we want to do, which is sending you know illegal people, you know, you know, asylum seekers across to different you know countries, Rwanda in, in this case, but maybe others in in future as well. Um, because they just believe that what the government says, what Parliament says, they'll say Parliament, but they mean government. What the government says has to has to happen. But whatever, sorry to interrupt, Stuart. But whatever Rishi does, whatever kind of path he chooses here, it's going to cause a massive divide, I think, within the Conservative Party because he either does kind of choose to roll back on it, and then he'll, he'll kind of you know take out all those bits and and go really kind of with the right of the party. Or he'll stick to his guns, keeping it as it is, try and push it through today. And then if he's not successful, that leaves his leadership in question, surely, doesn't it? Because it's he's gone against kind of the right of his party. 
he's perhaps you know gone a bit more with the kind of centre at the party, but it, it's still not been successful. So that that really undermines his leadership, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. I mean, you know, there is there are no there are no there is no easy way out of of this. Um, because instead of looking at all those other options and talking about other things and you know quietly abandoning this you know several years ago before they spent all that money and on legal fees and you know paying Rwanda etc they didn't they've said that this is what they want to do so th- this is this is a problem of their own manufacture mm. and despite changes of prime minister despite changes of home secretary this is what they've stuck to this is their this is their own fault mm. yeah it feel, it feels almost like <laughs> It's come from one of those political traps that they tried to lay for kind of Labour to kind of you know, and and it's exploded on themselves again. And it, it you know, how many times have we kind of said that with this government, Stuart, that that's kind of happened? And I think I don't know. For me, I think they just need to get back to actually looking to govern in a properly proper way, basically, and and make sure that you know policies are effective and they they deliver rather than. It all being for the media, because that's what it does feel like, Stuart. It feels like it's always an announcement for kind of the media at the minute and stuff, rather than to actually change something and make a change for the better. But, yeah. Okay, well, I think we've done that to death. And obviously the vote's today, so we can just wait and see kind of what comes from this. And maybe in the new year, Stuart, we can kind of discuss the fallout from this. Um, But it's been great talking to you again today, Stuart, about that kind of stuff. Um... All interesting uh, again. Um, so yeah, so I think just to tell listeners, we'll be back again next week with our Politics 2023 wrapped episode, looking at kind of the top five moments um, from this year and exploring them and kind of what they might mean for kind of next year as we enter 2024 as well. So please do look out for that episode next week and, and thank you again for listening to this episode. Thanks, Stuart, for joining me. No worries, Ben, and uh, thanks everyone for, for listening. <laughs>